kids, come. Bugger off, kid. I'm talking here. Hey, folks, it's your old pal Murray Clawhammer here. And boy, do I have some good news for you. The Hey Kids Comics Podcast is moving. As of January 1st, you can find your Hey Kids Comics Podcast on the Two True Freaks feed. That's at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. I love this show. It's like drinking Earl Grey tea next to the Thames River and having scones instead of sitting in my mom's basement and drinking Dr. Pepper and and eating Little Debbie snack cakes. Anywho, thanks to some sketchily acquired photographs, Two True Freaks and Demanza Corp anticipate a long and fruitful relationship with Hey Kids Comics. And remember, come New Year's 2013, you can find your Hey Kids Comics at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N. They're British. This offer is void in the event of Mayan prophecy being accurate. I'm Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. Thank you very much. Are you ready to rock, Cleveland? Woo! <laughs> I'm pregnant! Uh, <laughs> oh, did you, did you not hear this? Hear what? I don't think you heard this, did you? I bet I've not got it on here. Hey, Jesse. Are you ready? Are you ready for love? Yes, I am. Whoa. You've become Elton John, all of a sudden. <laughs> you can tell about where I'm moving. I was going to say, you, you've come over all Elton John, but I thought better of it. <laughs> you can tell about the way I'm moving. I'm all the ones, man. No time to talk. Ain't no party like an escort party because an escort party don't stop. Dan Deal here, co-publisher of DC Comics. Just wanted to tell you that none of the crises happened at all. <laughs> none. Zero. Bulb kiss. No crises happened. It was a five-year timeline. Damien is ten years old. Happy anniversary. <laughs> that was good, that wasn't it? Yeah, I like that. That was very good. Anyway, we're ready to begin this week's episode. Yuppers. <coughs> I was just going to start that, and you're humming. I'm still just about to start, and you're humming. But now that song's going to be stuck in your head for about a day now. Probably. <laughs> This is why Superman works alone. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Little entourage! <laughs> this briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster.
lovely people. Can you start now? I'm starting now, yeah. And welcome back to Hey Kicks Comics. Or welcome for the first time, if this is your first time. We are happy to pop your cherry. Or welcome to the last time. Or welcome to the last time. Yeah. Yes. We suffer for our art. Now it's time for you to suffer through our art. Mm. Mm. I am Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. He's him and I'm me. Um, this past week or so, was, was it last weekend or the weekend before? I've forgotten now. The weekend before. All right, the weekend before we went to Thought Bubble. And I, I can't believe... Which we, is a comic convention near us. Yes, it's a comic convention about an hour's drive away. Um, I can't believe we completely forgot to talk about it last week. No, I can totally... I can totally believe... You can't even remember what you just ate. I, no, no. I, was it was it some kind of lemony chicken thing? Something like Absolutely. that. Yeah. Um, uh, whilst there, not only did we meet Mr. Stephen Lesser... Yeah. ...who reminded me of Commander William Riker... To, to me, it was like, oh, so you're Steven. See, you sound familiar, but you've got a beard. There's <laughs> a bush on your face and you don't but, look... But you're very, very high. <laughs> yeah. As in tall. Yeah. Not as in high. At least I don't think he was high. And it was like, hello! <laughs> weather of the night. And he was like, oh, hello, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was very lovely. He was. Nice. He was very nice. So that was nice. Yes. Uh, and we also got to meet some top-notch creative people. Top-notch. Top-notch. I had every pleasure of guilt-tripping. And, and did, did you guilt-trip? Um, Yannick Paquette, but it didn't work. Because he was like, I'm really sorry, but I can't do any more sketches, because I've got these big ones that people already paid for. Alright, I understand, it's okay. And did he not fall for it? Actually, yeah, he did, he did me a little sketch. He did sketch a little sketch. Yeah. Yeah. And Becky Cloonan. So, are you going to be here tomorrow? No... And I came before and you weren't doing sketches. Okay. <laughs> did she do you one? She did, That's yeah. very nice. Very nice of you. I met Pia Guerra, mm-hmm. um, who is the artist on Why the Last so Man. So did I. I mean, it was started off as me talking to Stephen about Why the Last Man, and then I was in the queue and I was like, oh, have a sketch, please. Well, she did a sketch in my, my Why the Last Man hardcover. I've got a little I'm Yorick. so inspired. I mean, have I'm you got a little Yorick? I mean, I've got a little ampersand. <laughs> is that what she said? That's an old joke. Um, I was so inspired, I read all of Why the Last Man this week. All of it. All of it. From beginning to end. That last issue, man. All of it. It was beautiful, the it ending. Was. I had some issues with the series as a whole. Why, what were your issues? Do you know, I don't remember now. I want your mum to read it so we can do a round table. Okay, but do you not remember any issues you had? I'm trying to think. Everybody in it was very smart. But I suppose well, that's because there was only women left. Written by Brian K. Vaughan. And so. one of them was a doctor and the other one was a secret yeah, agent there is who that. was supposed to know everything. Yeah. But it was very good. I yeah. was very impressed with it. I, I did meet Mark Wade, who you heard at the top of this show. Mark Wade waved to me. He did. He waved at Michael, because Michael was in the queue for... Yannick Paquette. Yannick Paquette. As I got to the end of the queue for Mark Wade. And I only ever take one or two books to get signed. Yeah. Because this is just me. You may think differently, lovely listener. <laughs> but my personal opinion is... If you're queuing up for a big-name celebrity in the world of comics, obviously it's a very small, narrow field. Mark Wade could probably walk around Leeds and not be recognised. Mm. Um, and you take every single issue of his Flash run to get autographed, then I'm sorry, but I think you're a bit of a bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> this happened in the queue for Yannick Paquette. Yeah, and it's... Well, well no, 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 because I was in the queue and I was like, God's sake, why are we not moving? God, this guy in front of us, right? He's got all of his Ultimate X-Men. He's got all of his Seven Soldiers. He's got all of his Swamp Thing. Oh, crap, it's Steven. 
My, my personal opinion is I, I take one or two books, even if it's someone I really love. Yeah. John Jr., I only took Amazing Spider-Man 600. Yeah. And I could have took plenty. Mm. Matt Wade, I took Daredevil number one and Superman Birthright. And Michael took Kingdom Cup. Yeah. Because I, I personally, I'm not, I don't think it's for me to monopolise that person's time. Yeah. And he was very nice and he was very chatty. Mm. And I also had Absolute Kingdom come with me for Michael, because Michael was queuing up for Yannick Paquette. And as I got there, I actually said to Matt, wait, this isn't for me. This is for my son, who's over there. Yeah. And he looked at yeah, And he went, okay. And it was all right. And I said, can you sign it to Monkey Mike? And he looked at me. Said, monkey Mike? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to just call him Monkey when he was a baby. He doesn't look like a monkey. <laughs> and he looked over at you again. And that's when he waved at you. Yeah, his wife. Was, she, was his she, wife or she girlfriend? She looked over to me and she was like mouthing his shoes. And yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. So she like poked him and was like... Oh, oh right. Okay. So she was very nice. Yeah. So, and they were both very lovely. Mm. And uh, it was a nice little conversation and I told him how much I enjoyed Daredevil. And then he, he, he stamped Daredevil with a Braille signature. Well, I was looking over and I thought... I thought that was cool. I was just like, am I the only one who just saw Mark Wade cut up my dad's comic? No, I was... Because I was, I it looked like good. he was cutting it up. No, he, he had a Braille signature. What's thing? going on with that crazy guy? I can understand how some people would have got bent out of shape like that, but I wasn't one of them. Because it was I, funny. I thought it was funny, yeah. yeah. And in my Superman birthright hardcover, hardcover, Caught a paperback, he drew a Superman S shield, hmm. which I thought was quite nice of So he was lovely. And Pia Guerra was lovely. And who else did I go and see? I don't know. You just went I saw on. Paolo Rivera. Yeah. And he was very nice. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I just I just browsed around the... I was in the... queues. I was in the queues for Yannick Paquette. Yeah, you were in queues longer than Cameron I was in Stewart's queues. queue lasted two hours and it moved. Yeah. We buggered off into Leeds for about an hour or so, came back, the queue hadn't moved. Yeah, and that's whereas with uh, Matt Wade, when we first got in, we were told that they weren't taking any more. And then I turned around and you got boom. I went over to the other room. Pia Guerra had nobody, so I quickly snaked in there and got a sketch and a signature. Mm. I came back, Matt Wade had no queue. Boom, I was in. Yeah. In like Flynn. So that was so. It was a very, very, very enjoyable day, was it? Now, oh, we met Robert Llewellyn as well. We did meet Robert Llewellyn. The lovely it Robert just, Llewellyn. He was, he was lovely bloke, wasn't he? Yeah. After I was just getting over realizing that the guy I was just dissing was Stephen. Yeah. He came over and said, "Oh, hello. I've just got my my uh, red golf box set signed by Robert Llewellyn." Said, "Oh, is he? Yeah, he's uh, just over there. There's no sign. There's no queue. There's no nothing. He just took to it." Yeah. He was. There was no queue for him. It was very surprising. I'd taken my bloody red dwarf boot back to the car. He's taking everything back I'd to the car when, back, when there was no the car. Case, yeah. yeah. And they went back, but I got to chat with him. I got a photo of him. And Liz got an autograph. Michael's girlfriend got an autograph. Yes, and he was a lovely bloke. <laughs> she got two photos. Yeah, you snuck back in for another picture. Oh, I was so proud of myself after that. You sneaky devil. He's like, what are you? What are you wanting? Oh, uh, a sketch off Yannick Paquette. I, I paid for it before and put my name down, but I've not picked it up yet. And they let you in. All right then. All right then. You're talking like you're in Oasis. So yeah, so so that, I think that was just chatting to Robert Llewellyn generally. Yeah, we didn't even mention Red Dwarf. <laughs> nope, he was just such a nice man. I was very impressed with how nice he was, mm. and that he was just tucked away in a corner. Yeah. What was he there for? He's got a new book out. Oh, was it? His, was it a book? It yeah. might have been. Yeah, I was wondering maybe he's one of these people who's, who's written a comic book, like Lance Henriksen's written a comic book, hasn't he? And he was though with his book. Right. Okay. Well, he was a very nice man. Yeah. Either way, I was very impressed with him. So that was our trip to Thought Bubble. And jolly nice it was, too. Indeed. Any more bits of business this week, or is that it? We don't really have anything, do we? We've not really bought anything of import this week, have we? Not really. Uh, no, no, because we're saving up for, for Christmas now. Well, all our Christmas friends have bought, haven't they? No, I've not not finished with your sister. I've been concentrating on her birthday. No, right. I don't think I'm finished with your mum yet, either. 
few bits and pieces for you. Anyway, so on to emails. We don't have many emails this week. No so way. I can only assume that that means our stupendous commentary on Superman 3 just left people dumbfounded. Yeah. That's the only thing I can assume from the lack of emails this week. Mm-hmm. So our first email is from James Hunt. This is a public service announcement is the subject heading. Hey, Leyland's 1 and 2. Is that like Thing 1 and Thing 2? Well, it could be. I, I quite like that, idea. I'm Thing 1. <clears throat> Hello, James. Hello. Let me first thank you for your public service in reviewing Maximum Carnage. Now I've heard you review it, I don't have to buy it, and for that I'm eternally grateful. <laughs> well, we live to serve. Yeah. <laughs> As a guy who grew up in the ni- with the 90s cartoon, I've always been fascinated by Carnage and had the action figure, which was very cool to play with. However, despite looking good and being cool to draw, he's rarely any good in the comics, although his return in 2010 in the Carnage miniseries by Zeb Wells and Clayton Crane was very enjoyable. Hearing both of you struggle through Maximum Carnage, that's actually a very good word for it, isn't it? It was. <laughs> Showed how overused and misunderstood the character had has become, with writers forgetting he's just a psycho with very little between his ears. Furthermore, he should have been killed by Venom at the end of the series to make the series have impact, as you highlighted. Nobody important died. Probably because they were lunchboxes or something. Venom could have easily done the right thing by swatting Spider-Man away, resulting in Spider being knocked out and unable to stop Venom from killing Carnage. Bye-bye, Carnage. In addition, I really enjoyed the Superman 3 commentary, as it is my first memory of watching the films, and for that reason, it is probably my favourite. I wasn't able to enjoy Couch Potato last year because I had no memories of watching the shows reviewed and so wasn't interested. I think that's the problem with commentaries. They're no good unless you've got the film on DVD or have a good memory. Anyway, congratulations on making it to the 100th episode, Mark. And despite it being November as I write this, have a Merry Christmas, everyone, as it's probably very close when you hear this. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Next week will be our Christmas show. Will it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Not for us, though. Yeah, yeah, for us. We'll be recording our Christmas show next week. Yes. They will hear our Christmas show next week. Next week? Yes. We're recording both of them next week. No, we're recording the Christmas show next week. Right. When this goes up... Oh, this episode, not They the will Christmas hear the Christmas episode, episode right. next week. Okay. Not you me. really have trouble with this forward planning thing, don't you? even next week, it's the week after that. No, for them it'll be next week. Why would it be next week? Right. <laughs> that was brilliant. Your light just went up behind your eyes. Not next week, literally. But when this episode goes up, right, okay. for them, our lovely listeners, yes. next week will be the Christmas episode. Next week will be the Christmas episode for us, though. Yes, it will. So it's still next week from whichever point of view you're looking at it. Yes, from. it is. So I don't know why we're having this conversation. <laughs> Thank you, James. I'm glad that, that you provoked arguments. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't mean to. Our next email is someone who was much missed last week. Mm. Luke Giaconetti. Superman 3, The Search for Spock. Wait a minute. Is the subject headed? Which I quite like. Mm. That was quite good. Hello there, fellow big blue boosters. Hello, Luke. Nice to hear from you again. Ah, the sweet sound of people talking through a movie. I have to admit that if my friends were watching Superman 3, it would have devolved into a Mystery Science Theatre 3000 riff fest. So this was much more respectable. Oh, well, we we thank you for that. We wasn't aiming to be respectable. we filmed it with our heads. Yeah, against the screen. (laughs) Put a little antenna on your sister. (laughs) And she can be... (laughs) 
various moody blues songs, Luke continues, the name of the song from the subject heading was Slings and Arrows, which I thought was appropriate for the Longbow Hunters. It was. I also think of that song when my wife and I watch Arrow. Great show so far, by the way. Yes, so far, yes. Have you not liked I quite like the, the small vilification of Green Arrow works better. Yeah. Than the small me, vilification as Clyde. Yes, it is very influenced by Christopher Nolan's. My only problem with it, mm-hmm. I wish they'd own the comic books more. Do you know what I mean? Um, the Marvel movies take are owned by Marvel. No, yeah, well, they own the comics. What I mean by that is they take the stuff that's in the comics, even the silly stuff. Yeah, and let's be honest. There is a lot of silly stuff in the comic books. But that's why we like them. Mr. Malik's Mixius Pitalik is dumb. But I, I still quite enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and they take that silly stuff and embrace it mm. and include it in the stories in some way. Uh, like Tony Stark being Iron Man, be, Iron Man being Tony Stark's bodyguard. They acknowledge that. Yeah. They made a joke of it and owned it and took it on board. The fact that a bunch of hardened it? soldiers would follow a guy wrapped in the American flag into battle is a bit ridiculous when you think about it. But the Captain America film took that idea pointed out how ridiculous it was and then made it work. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas Arrow is yeah. concentrating on only the moody, yeah. dark, realistic the, stuff. The, all of the DC stuff, from Superman Returns to the Batman movies to uh, Smallville, in many respects, yeah. to this one, they don't seem... They seem deathly afraid of having fun. Yeah. And I wish they'd have a bit more fun. I'm not saying I want boxing glove arrows, but a little bit of fun every now and again would be nice. A little joke at the... Arrowmobile. Yeah, a little joke at the expense of the Arrow cave or the Arrowmobile would, yeah. be, would be really cool, I think. But it's no, but it's a good show. I do. I am enjoying Arrow. The greeting in the email, to get back to Luke's email, is actually a spoken word poetry piece. Oh, so I should have spoken it instead of singing. You could have. Wasted opportunity. You still sang. I did, yeah. It is called Late Lament, but it's generally considered the end of the song Night in White Satin, which it immediately follows on the album Days of Future Past. Clermont clearly was a fan. As the album is a concept album spanning the length of a day, starting before sunrise and ending with night, the poem is a reflection on the moon, cold-hearted orb that rules the night, and the feelings one gets at the end of the day. Melancholy normally, although I'm on the day older. Thanks for that. I, don't, I have no knowledge of Moody not Blues. melancholy because you're listening to the Moody Blues. Possibly. No, it's in what's happened. Now, well, they're not quite Joy Division, are they? Well, in Joy, the, Joy, the Joy Division is fun if you're not listening to Ian Curtis. If you listen to the synth, it's pretty fun. <laughs> but if you listen to Ian Curtis, go, oh, no, no. Slip the rest. Oh, no, no. Look at my shoes when I dance. <laughs> <laughs> gets <Shoegazing> it dancing. <laughs> yeah. And now then, Superman 3, says Luke. I recently, as in a couple of years ago, watched Superman 3 after Scott H. Gardner High Scott taught the movie up. I still hold a small grudge against Scott for getting to watch this dog of a movie. I will grant you the entire chemical plant fire sequence is excellent. And then the end with Superman and the supercomputer, those are cool too. And of course the Clark Superman fight is a classic. The problem is that those three set pieces sound like a majority of the film when you put it like that. They are not. There is entirely too much nonsense between these three sequences which drags down the viewing experience to the dregs. I actually have read the DC Comics adaptation of this one. I thought it was much improved over the actual film because it eliminated all the lame slapstick elements and a lot of Gus Gorman's antics and hamming. It's much tighter paced and does not meander around as much as the movie seems to do. No, it's good, the comic adaptation. It's made especially interesting in that they didn't have the likeness rights to any of the actors. So it just reads like a normal Superman comic from that era. One of the things that struck me about Superman 3 it's a Bronze Age Superman story it's slightly silly yeah 
slightly. It's one of those that I think people look back at the Superman movies and they don't put them in their place contextually. Superman could go back in time all the time back in the day. Yeah. And do ridiculously superpowered things. I'm not saying he could rip his ass off his chest or something like that. Yeah. But Superman 3 in context, I don't think is. When you read the comics adaptation, it fits right in. All right. But when I you're watching it, it as one of the films. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Um, a few notes. Smallville is not in the South. Kansas is not in the South. Dagnabbit. Michael, you're not alone being scared of the cyborg robot android. I have heard that expressed quite frequently online for folks who saw this film when they were young. It's a pretty gruesome element for a light-hearted Superman film, for sure. I'm a fan, personally, though I have to wonder what's, where What's-Her-Name's gloves go when she gets snapped by the tractor beam. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. You know what did surprise me about Superman 3 for a kid's film? What? How much advertising there is for cigarettes. Okay. How many shots of Marlboro do you get in that movie? Yeah. Although that's in Superman 2 as well, because he gets thrown into a Marlboro truck, doesn't he? Mm. But he even gets the extra element of kryptonite from his fag packet. Yeah. It's like, didn't Superman have an entire campaign? Selling cigarettes to kids in these movies. When I was a kid, say never say yes to a cigarette, and yet here you are. Yeah. Sponsored by Marlboro. Yeah, that doesn't quite work, does it? Um, the line about you'll get it when you're 65 is referring to Guzzi's social security. It would be unlikely that a data entry guy like him would be earning a pension in 1983. And that you were 11 in 1983? I won't say how old I was. I you were about four. Maybe three. Something like that. Yeah. I would hazard a guess. Angela's disgusted spoilers regarding the dog food was hilarious. Don't ask me why, it's really crapped me up. I also really like both your wife and daughter scolding you for saying Superman just spent two days shagging Lorelei. Yeah. But he did, though. But he did, though. So, yeah, there's a deleted scene where what's her name's next door and she can hear them. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the DVD, I think. MBS equals Metropolis Broadcast System, a play on CBS, the central broadcast system, one of the big three over-the-air broadcast networks in the yes, the yes, I mean the US, along with NBC and ABC. All in all, I had more fun listening to your clan watch this movie than I ever did actually watching it. So good job, dudes. Luke, well, thank you very much. I'm glad we could at least entertain you yeah. whilst watching I Superman 3. You more than Superman 3, though. Well, yeah, there is that. And finally, we have another email under the heading. As long as she keeps writing them, we'll keep reading them. Great show, Steve. Love the Superman commentary episode. And happy 100th, XX, Angela Leyland. Thanks, love. We appreciate your email patronage. Do it, does. <sighs> Um, right, we're going to take a short break and plug somebody else's podcast, and then we'll be back with the conclusion of Prodigal. 27 years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth. But they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived. Why is he here? What is his purpose? And how will Cal El and Kara Zorel respond when faced with El on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlie Niemeyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. 
The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. I won't let you get away with this! From here on out, everything changes. Learn what happens when you mess with the most powerful being in the universe! Please, you can't die! In the wake of the battle with Frieza and the destruction of planet Namek, a new threat comes to terrorize Earth. The androids. I am the Prince of All Saiyans once again! Stay out of this one, Vegeta. He's mine! A young man with long black hair and a scarf tied around his neck. And 18. Female. Blonde. Not unattractive. Those are the worst villains the Earth will ever know! Starting in December, and continuing throughout the entirety of 2013, join Donovan and Jesse as they chronicle Dragon Ball Z's most prominent sagas and battles. From the vicious villains. I'm bored. It's time for you to die. And the heroic good guys. I won't let you leave Earth till I make you pay for what you've done. Who are always. Bring it on! Always screaming. Kaioken Dimestead! Wait! It's the legend! Soon you will be at his mercy. What mercy? The Next Dimension, dbznextdimension.libson.com. You're about to find out what it's like to fight a real Super Saiyan. And I'm not talking about Goku. And we're back. Fully lubricated. Mm-hmm. With lovely, lovely liquid refreshment. Provided by Michael, thank you very much. It's okay. So far, we have seen... Bruce Wayne incapacitated. His replacement as Batman is insane! Bruce returns triumphant! But what's this? He will not return as Batman? In his place, former boy wonder Dick Grayson! But can he cut the bat mustard? Stay tuned! For the worst is yet to come! How does one cut mustard? I don't know, it's just the, the phrase. Then we go into the Batman credits. Da, 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 da. Pow! Da, Zap! Da. Kapow! <laughs> motorbike comes screeching across because it snaps up the Batgirl in. So, Maybe. when Batgirl's in, a motorbike screeches yeah, across. Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Totally. Like, badly cuts out. It's motorbike scratching and pooching. Yeah. <laughs> Batgirl's pooching. That totally works. Anyway, that, that brought that um, Bill Dozier impression brought us up to speed with where we are in Prodigal. Uh, this is our third part of what should have been two, but never mind. We've been doing that a lot recently, haven't we? We'll try and get more organised in the in the new year. I promise. We've been a bit busy this time. Um, so, we're picking up where we left off last week. Batman 514 is Prodigal, part nine. It has a cover by Ron Wagner and Joe Rubenstein of the Batman, costume all torn, walking towards us, looking a mite annoyed from a dilapidated landscape. While it does ask what's occurring, it's not particularly exciting. What do you think? I think it looks pretty cool. Do you? Yeah. Okay, fair do. It's not exciting, but it looks pretty cool. You are wondering why Batman's costume's all ripped to shreds. Got a little bit of his hair sticking out. Yeah, and a bit of his hair sticking out. Because he's Peter Parker now. Why? 
because whenever Spider-Man like, got his mask cut, it's oh, a the, bit the, of his eye. Would come out, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, it came out on the 15th of November 1994, with a January 1995 cover date. One Night in the War Zone was written by Doug Merch, with art by Ron Wagner and Joe Rubenstein. Adrian Roy coloured Ken Brusenak lettered. Jordan B. Garfinkel was assistant editor. Denny O'Neill was the editor and Batman was created by Bob Kane. Dick descends into the cave. You could do so much with that sentence. But we're not going to. We're going to carry on. Would Tim Drake provides him with a printout of the three most dangerous criminals still at large to two f- after Two-Face's shenanigans? Bonaventure Strake, John McCone, and Sue Chung were all lifers. John McCone. That's, that's the name. Does he feel like a TV dinner? <laughs> <laughs> Come out to California, we'll have a few laughs. Um, with no hope of parole, asks Dick. We worked long and hard on that question, replies Tim, as he reels off the details. Strake is a huge hulking figure of a man who, meanwhile, is approaching his old friend George Samson. George tells Strake that he don't do that kind of work no more, but the bag of cocaine he has with him tells a different story. McCone is an enforcer for tough Tony Bresse, who has a mad-on for Vince Castle, who sent him down. He's currently taking delivery of a new shooter. He takes the shooter to the wife of Castle, who claims she doesn't know where he is. No problem, says McCone. I'll wait. Chung was a ganglord. Left home at 15, a wanted man, and set up a string of gambling dens in Gotham City, but was ripped off by his employees. Three of them are already dead, but two are currently fretting that Chung is back on the streets. Within minutes, only one is fretting that Chung is back on the streets, as Chung takes one of them down with death stars, leaving the last one to flee. Tim informs Dick that all three have scrolled down too far and now I can't read my notes. Tim informs Dick that all three are in Battergate, a.k.a. the Warzone section of Gotham. Dick dons the cape and tells Tim to sit this one out. Dick leaves, but all the while ponders whether his heart is in being the Batman. It's not the calling for him, it was for Bruce, but he needs to get his head in the game. Fast. He arrives in the war zone, a place so bad they're considering surrounding it with checkpoints and wire, a regular escape from New York scenario, and decides with no other plan of attack to tackle them in the order of Tim's list. Strake's last known address is where the Batman finds him, sticking a knife in the ribs of his erstwhile partner for a carry-all of coke. The Batman bursts in as Strake is taking over the action, and with the aid of a tuba and a packet full of dust, Strake is dispatched. With no last known address for McCone, the Batman heads to Castle's address where McCone is waiting. A hired gunsel is, however, no match for the Batman. The Batman then checks the known addresses for Chung, and wouldn't you know it, he just happens to be at the last one he checks. Which makes sense, because he's not going to check anymore after he's found him, is he? It's perfectly logical. The Batman walks into the middle of a firefight as the last remaining target of Chung's ire has rounded up a posse. No worries, mate. Chung and the Batman work together to take the small fry out, and then, truce over, they fight him at Feitenstein, and the Batman emerges, triumphant. He's about to leave for the manor in an early night when a scream echoes through the concrete canyons. It never ends. Ah, <sighs> you know. How does Chung, Chung smash through the window like that, that high? You know, why, why are all the Batman villains, even just street-level hired guns, acrobats, and superhumans? 
Because there'd be no match for the Batman if they were. See, even Batman needs to get his ga- back grappled to get up to a building that high, but he just does his somersault ninja skills to get in. He does. That's very true. It was the least of this issue's problems, really. I'll be because um, I'll be honest. I found this issue a little odd. I liked it. For the past few stories, Dick's been getting into his role as Batman. Okay, even bemoaning the fact that just as he starts to get good at it, he's going to have to leave it all behind. But here, we've got an entire issue devoted to how this isn't Dick's calling and he isn't as driven or as obsessed as Bruce. Now, these are all valid points and crucial parts of Dick Grayson's character, but to introduce it here, do you feel it, it felt a bit out of the blue? Yeah. This... Then this yeah. near the end as well. Especially seeing as in the previous issues he'd just come to terms with it yeah. and was starting to enjoy it. Um, if it had been a subplot throughout the entire story so far, how Dick wasn't feeling this and how it was more of an obligation than a calling, and if they'd tied this into his feelings of uncertainty regarding Two-Face, then having all this here coming to the fore after Two-Face was removed, then I think it could have worked very well. But having him seemingly embrace being Batman after the Two-Face issues to suddenly being tired of it in the space of an issue felt like it came from nowhere. It's not forced, because the differences between Bruce and Dick have been highlighted throughout the entire storyline, but it seemed to come very suddenly. Yeah. That all of a sudden he's like, I don't want to be Batman anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not a bad issue. No, no. All told, it was an enjoyable read. But it felt like a character beat that came out of nowhere. Like, once again, Doug Mensch wasn't on the same page as everyone else. Contradicted the previous issue. Yeah. And if you're reading these back-to-back like I did, it it's very sudden yeah. that Dick goes through this sudden change of heart. I mean, the artwork's nice. Mm. The artwork's very good. Um, the, the castle guy, I thought, was a real peach. Because he hides in the closet the whole time that his wife's been tied up and emotionally brutalised. What a guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it was alright. I mean, that's pretty much all I've got to say about it, though. That It wasn't awful. It wasn't great. It was a nice read in and of itself, but as a part of the overall story, it suddenly seems to come out of nowhere. That liked it on its own, but that... What on page there? Where, uh, you, where he uses the tube. Where he stabs Batman through, through the, the cape. cape. And then all of a sudden, Batman's free. Mm. But we don't see the cape rip. We don't see him get out of it. But he's just free from being stabbed in the cape. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, did the rip go right through the cape? Yeah. Because theoretically, that should have just gone right over his arm, shouldn't it? Mm. I see what you mean. But he gets his arm stuck in the tuba. And then Batman kicks the crap out of him and drops all the cocaine on his face. It'd be so funny if he overdosed and died. <laughs> Batman just inadvertently caught a drug overdose. <laughs> yeah. I'd be perfectly okay with that. Tom Grummet on the ad for... Uh, uh, yeah, the adverts in this issue, there's an advert for Showcase 95, as Michael points out. It's a Tom Grummet piece. It's gorgeous. I like that. It's Supergirl at the front, looking like she means business. She's got very big her, though. Yeah. Very big 90s her. And uh, Superman's supporting cast in the background. There's Poison Ivy and Blockbuster. Gangbuster, Bibo. sorry. Bibbo. Um, oh, what was her name? Head of the Special Crimes Unit. Maggie Sawyer. Mongol. Mongol. Um, I can't remember the guy in white and the yellow. Is he? Michael Bailey's shouting at me. I know, I know he is. Is he not the gladiator? He may oh. have been. No. God, I don't remember his bloody name. Sorry, I've let you down, Mike. I do apologise. It'll come to me when we finish recording. I think he might have had his own Seven Soldiers series. He may have done. Hmm. Chips Ahoy! We loved Chips Ahoy. Yeah. Chips Ahoy get an advert. We'd much prefer Chips Ahoy to Oreo cookies. 
Really? Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. You preferred Oreos? I've got Oreos, yeah. Oh, right. I preferred Chips Ahoy. Double cream Oreos? Uh, no, they weren't for me. I, I much preferred the uh, the Chips Ahoy. Uh, there's no yeah, other you, you got the soggy Chips Ahoy? I like both Chips Ahoy. I like crispy Chips Ahoy. And I liked um, chewy Chips Ahoy. And I like chewy ones. They feel like they've been in the rain too long. Yeah. yeah. Well, certainly when you dip your Oreos in milk, you get the same feeling. Well, no, they still stay solid. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, the best bit in this is the DC Universe, which answers the question, what exactly does an Inca do? Different. And you've got three different sets of panels here, all drawn by Jim, I Love Boobs, Balance, Copyright Michael Bailey, inked by Scott Hanna, Jerry Fernandez and Jerry Hotkiss, showing different Inca's approaches to the same material. It's fantastic, isn't I it? I like how they just redraw bits. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at who does what and who captures the pencil best. Um, I think Scott Hanna's is the best of the three, but I'll be brutally honest, of all four of them, I prefer just the pencils. Mm. But um, that's just me. We've talked about me loving pencils on plenty of occasions before. Shadow of the Bat 34 came out on November 22nd. It was Prodigal Part 10. The cover has Batman trussed up with a gun to his head by Brian Stelfreeze. It's awesome! Do we like Brian Stelfreeze? We love Brian Stelfreeze's covers, don't we? Yeah. I don't think we've ever made any excuse for that. Hey, and the Tallyman's on it. And the Tallyman's reflected in the uh, on the wall in the background as his shadow. So if you read the issue, yeah. you get it. You get it. It's very good. Um, Batman is tied up with a gun at his head, but it's only in the, the shadow on the wall, as Michael points out, that you see the Tallyman. It's yeah. a brilliant cover. His hands aren't tied up, so he could easily escape that. Yes. Yes. They, they didn't really think that through, did they? Still a good cover, though. Still a, still a good cover. It's not ruined by that minor piece of, of mistaker. Hey, Luke, is that advert in black and white? Yes, there's an advert <laughs> on the inside front cover in black and white. It's for the power of Shazam. It's Jerry Hardway artwork, so it's fantastic. Is that the power of Shazam graphic novel that I've got as a hardcover? Yes. Right, OK. I enjoyed that. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Really heartily recommended. Mm-hmm. I picked that up for about a five or a recent comic, man, didn't I? Yeah. It wasn't very expensive at all. I was like, ooh, having it. Yeah. For a fiver. Very nice indeed. As usual for Shadow of the Bat, there is no subtitle other than Prodigal Part 10. So it does mean that the whole thing doesn't make sense. Because yeah. Shadow of As the Bat said before. falls upon Prodigal Part 10. That, that's... You just left it as Prodigal. Yeah. Should it not be the Shadow of the Bat falls upon the return of the Tallyman? Or the shadow of the bat falls upon the vengeance of Tallyman. That has worked better. The shadow of the bat falls upon yet another tie-in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that'd work. <laughs> it was written by Alan Grant. M.D. Bright was the penciler. Scott Hanna was the inker. Adrian Roy coloured. Todd Klein lettered. We already mentioned Brian Stelfreeze covered. John Bigoffinkel was assistant editor, and Denny O'Neill was the editor for this as well. He chose this M.D. Bright because he was the brightest bulb in the. Uh... Uh... See, that's, that's comedy gold. It's comedy gold. Yeah. Indeed. Um, the story was thusly. After falling into a trap laid by the tallyman, the Batman finds himself at the mercy of a criminal he doesn't know. For despite tallyman being out for vengeance, his ire is aimed at a different Batman. Being branded by the Jean-Paul Dark Knight has caused Tallyman to seek retribution and is now playing Russian roulette with this Batman. But throughout the flashbacks and life-changing moments that spin uncontrollably in his mind, his constant fear of failure, the Batman keeps his cool, psychologically examining his captor, causing him to unravel in mind, whilst the Batman's hidden glove also unravels his bonds. As the bullet falls into the chamber, the Batman moves, narrowly avoiding death. 
hitting Tallyman where it hurts in his memories of his mother, the Batman has no trouble evading the Tallyman's bullets and blows. A punch to the jaw and the Tallyman falls through a window, but his robes are caught in the gears and levers and he finds himself pulled towards death. The Batman saves his life and leaves triumphant in both his battle of the wills and his battle of the body. Now, I made that sound very simplistic, yeah. which this is far from. But again, for ease of synopsising, I removed a lot of the flashbacks. Because page one, first of all, I love the structure of a story that begins and fills you in later. In the hands of lesser writers, um, this can just lead to an entire page of info dump. Yeah. Where they bring you up to speed as to what happened. Like it backwards. Yeah, you, you're a big fan of stuff like that. Yeah, out of gas. Um, there's an excellent issue of Star Trek written by Peter David mm. that does that, where it starts at the end, and then as the story goes along with somebody's death, and then it tells the story. Yeah, the one we covered. In reverse. No, it's an annual. Is it? Yeah, it's not. Right. He does it again, but he starts with the character's death and then works, and the story ends with the meeting for the first time. Right. So he tells the entire story in reverse, and it's really clever and very well done. Because as we mentioned before, Alan Grant is not a lesser writer. Mm. And when he's on form, like he is with this issue, we get uh, an utterly stupendous issue. Tallyman. I think visually, Tallyman's fantastic. He looks like someone out of a Tim Burton film. He does look like somebody out of a Tim Burton film. And mm. you could totally hear Danny Elfman's score. Yeah. In the background. And you probably will if you're listening to this. Mm. You're probably hearing Danny Elfman even as we speak. Dying with another um, Mark Hamill voice. Do you? Yeah. Do you hear Tallyman as a Mark Hamill-esque? Yeah. Slightly insane. I also got a very Todd McFarlane vibe off him. Yeah. Purely on a visual level. In that he's all flowing cape and no feet. Mm. Which reminds me a lot of ridiculously big ratchet and clamp guns in this one. Though. No, he doesn't have his ridiculous guns like he did in his previous appearance. But he's just out for vengeance, here. Yeah. There's no there's no pretense this time round, is there? He's just a bit a bit miffed, to be honest with you. Um, I do think Vin- Vince Girano, who penciled his er- earlier appearances, had a better handle on his eccentricities. Mm. But Bright does a good job with it. This is very grounded. Yeah, this he is- just looks a bit. Ridiculous. No, well, he's uh, to me he is another one of those Batman foes who should look ridiculous, so that you take him, you don't treat him seriously, mm. and then you realise that actually he's just about to put a bullet in my head, yeah. and suddenly that forces you to take him seriously. Um, I did think, with all apologies to Mister Grayson, that on pages three and four of this issue, Dick was really stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but he is. Yeah. Exactly how he hears cries for help from so far up and so far away is is better glossed over, especially as it's just a cassette player that wouldn't have had much in the way of range. But he lands. He doesn't scope out the situation. He just lands directly there. He lands directly there and then gets shot in the head for his trouble. Thankfully, Tallyman wasn't outright for killing him. Mm. Which, did that make any sense to you? Given that the whole point of this issue is he wants to outright kill him. Yeah, but... He had him, though. Doesn't he want to need him to know that... Yes, he wants him to know who did it and the plain Russian roulette thing. He wants him to know fear and all that gubbins. But he had him dead to rights. Well, yeah. He that, shot him in the head. Lawrence Spider-Man yesterday and it's Spider-Man. And the it's, Bendis yeah, thing. Yeah, and Mysterio's like, ha, I've got rid of Spider-Man in that other dimension. Oh. 
but I need to know I've beat him, god damn it. Yeah, it's just like, can you notice this next app that you've won? I, know. Uh, I didn't like that series very much. I didn't like that series very much. Uh, that's fair enough. Um, he doesn't. He shoots him in the head, but he only grazes him. We should make he that clear. a very good shot. Which means he must be a very good shot, especially from the angle that he shot him. Or a very bad shot. Or a very bad shot. Maybe he did meant to kill him. Yeah. I don't know. It's very possible. But it's a very poor showing from Mr. Grayson. Mm. Very poor. Maybe this issue comes before the previous issue, and this is why he doesn't want Possibly. to be back. Possibly. But also, on page 20 of this issue, Dick acknowledges himself how stupid he was. Yeah. So we'll let that slide. Yeah. Because there is the thing that if Batman ever were to make a silly mistake like that, he'd be dead. Mm. So he doesn't make silly mistakes like that. But this, I suppose you could be pointing out this is another way of showing how Dick is different from Bruce. Bruce probably wouldn't have fallen for this. Mm. Also, you've got to take into account Tallyman was trying to lure in a very stupid Batman, Jean-Paul. Yeah. So maybe he wasn't expecting the bullet to hurt him if John Paul was still all armoured. Bulky helmet. Yeah. So I suppose all that. Um, the artwork on the flashback pages, especially the shot of um, Batman swinging across the city. I love the cape. Yeah. The cape's brilliant. There again, it's very McFarlane, but it's still fantastic. We're not taking anything away from it being McFarlane-esque because when McFarlane was on his game. He was yeah. very, very good. Yeah, McFarlane did Batman. He did a bit of Batman Year 2, yeah, after Alan Davis couldn't finish it. Yeah. And a more contrasting pair of art styles you will never... F- Have you ever read Batman Year 2? No. You read the first two issues, great, it's Alan Davis art, everything's fine. Issue 3, <laughs> Todd McFarlane, punch in the face. And you're like, what the hell? When did Batman turn into Spawn? Yeah, and it's like when you're, when you're reading it as a gestalt, yeah. it really doesn't work. Because it's just such a, a jarring, excuse me, change of artwork. Mm. Well, there's one like that later on, isn't it? Yes, there is. Um, maybe that's why Batman Year 2 never took off like Batman Year 1 did. Because of the art Because there's no consistency to the art. Yeah. It's possible. I don't know. Uh, pages 3, 4, 6, 7, 10, 11, 14 and 15 are all flashbacks. And I thought it was a really nice artistic touch that Dick's flashbacks are all in blue. And the tallymans are all coloured red. I don't know why, I just like that. There's no back issue notes, though, telling us when these various different events took place. They're not necessary, because let's be honest, most modern comics have long since done away with them, because they require effort on behalf of the writer or the editor. But they used to be fun. Are the tallyman's flashbacks reuses of the old issues? I don't, they're not re, they're redrawn. That's M. D. Bright's oh, artwork. So they're not just no, they're it, not just ported across the artwork. They do, they do look like the other artists. Yeah, he's done a very good job of mimicking Vince Giorano though. But no, they they have redrawn them. They've not just nicked the panels like they do nowadays. Mm. They do that an awful lot now, don't they? Yeah, just steal the artwork from another issue. Um, page sixteen. Batman's lock picks. And having them, having those tiny saws in his gauntlets, is, I think it's a relatively new addition to the Bat Mythos, but I've seen it a couple of times now. Do you know when that first appeared? No. You know, I'd love to know where that first appeared. It's long been established he has something in his in his gloves. He has like a laser in his fingernail. He's got stuff in there for when people take his utility belt off him. Yeah. Which makes sense, the amount of times his utility belt gets taken off him. He seems everything like in Hush he's got those gas things in his mask if you try and well doesn't Jeff Love subscribe off, to Grant Morrison's theory that Batman can do anything even like take down Superman mm. 
Which is bogus. Looks cool. Yeah, yeah, but, but it's bogus. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dick smiles more in this one issue than Bruce has ever than done. Bruce has ever done. Yeah. Um, granted, Bruce hasn't had a very good year. Mm. So we'll let that slide. Um, writer Alan Grant, who we love, mm. when he's on form, he's, he's fantastic. Again, delivers the goods on a psychologically driven trail of vengeance and failure and how we're all the sum of our pasts. The tally man is a product of his upbringing and Dick's subtle analysis of him leads him to pinpoint his way out of his of his dilemma. In addition, this trawl through the career of Dick Grayson and his many years of feeling out of place culminate with him realising he isn't just a former Robin, Nightwing or Batman. He's his own man. Couple this with the idea of a foe with a serious madon for the masked manhunter. Um, <clears throat> a Batman that has no knowledge of Tallyman due to Jean-Paul's lack of bookkeeping skills. And I thought this was a really interesting issue. Again, Dick doesn't seem anywhere near as out of sorts here as he did in the Munch issue. Even though he's essentially wrestling with the same dilemma. But it's the same idea handled much better. The art's good as well. Yeah. I thought this was a great issue. Yeah. Well, yeah, it seems like in this series where Dick doesn't know any of the bad guys except for Two-Face, Tim has to tell him who they all are. But he doesn't have Tim here. Yeah. So he really is out on a limb with this one because he's got no idea who Tallyman is. Well, Bruce wouldn't. Yeah. Bruce wouldn't know who Tallyman is. So would Tim have known? Because Tim, I don't recall if Tim was in those issues with Jean-Paul. He might have known of him. Yeah, possibly. But certainly... John Paul wasn't keeping the back computer up to date, was he? No, and that was his kicking Tim out. Yeah. Was... Yes, so Tim may not even have known about um, the tally map. Adverts in this issue, sometimes, as we've already mentioned, the power of Shazam, which is black and white on the interior uh, inside cover, which we'll just gloss over, because I'm sure that that never happened. Um, there's a Jurassic Park, is that a maquette? Is that what that's called? Yeah. Or is it just a doll? A statue. Oh, it's a statue of um, Jurassic Park. Bon Jovi had an album out. It's the best of. Is it a best of? Oh, yeah, it's got Living on a Prayer on it. Keep the faith. Someday I'll be Saturday night. Hey, man, I'm love. Is, is that Someday I'll be Saturday night? That, yeah. Oh, no, always. Wanted, dead, or alive. Lay your hands on me. <laughs> Can we do it all? You give love a bad name. <laughs> uh, blaze of glory, better Shut roses. Down. <laughs> Shut through the heart, and you're too late. Uh, what else is on this? Prayer ninety four, bad medicine. I'll be there Your for you. Like bad medicine. He didn't do the theme from Friends, did he? Bad medicine is what is, I need. Is that a different? I'll be there for you. Yeah. I'll be there for you when the rain starts to fall. You, that's the only song you think of when you say I'll be there for you now. I'm sorry, Bon Jovi. In a night of love, <laughs> she's a little runaway. So you, you successfully went through every single one. Congratulations. Because you, you downloaded it for me and I put it on my iPad. I didn't know you were such a Bon Jovi fan. Oh, yeah. In an ironic way. Yeah. Oh, just no, I've not even been ironic. I love Bon Jovi. No, I know, I know his songs uh, on my iPod. <laughs> you know them? I, you, know, you just did them chapter and verse. I was raised with mum. That's a good point. You can do all the Guns and Roses as well, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, sexy, In the cone, seductive, deadly, 
And that's just your mum. Uh, actually, no, that's an advert for Modesty Blaze, which was the comic book that John Travolta is reading on the toilet when he gets shot in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he's reading Modesty Blaze. You give love. We're just going to be doing that all night. Uh, it was the whoa, dawn whoa, of the third whoa, age whoa. of mankind, and the last best hope for peace is the last of the Babylon stations. There's an advert for the Babylon 5 miniseries. Who's that? that? That's Commander Sinclair. Yeah, but who's that, is it? Uh, I, I have no idea. Joe jo Stradinsky wrote a couple of them. I don't know if he wrote all of them. I think he only ran a year. Mm. I don't recall how long that oh, series ran. That one first and all that good, eh? Uh, <laughs> uh, the Atom has a special after Zero Hour and Vertigo trading cards. Mm. Yeah, look, there's Morpheus. Yes, and something in the corner. Books of Magic mm. in the corner. The next issue in pro- as Prodigal comes speeding, speeding, we say, twirling, twirling, it's twirling towards freedom. Conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Simpsons? Not going forwards, not going upwards, but twirling, <laughs> twirling, twirling towards freedom. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Detective Comics six eighty one was released on the 29th of November 1994 and there's a headline on a newspaper on the cover that screams Nolan did cover! Which leads me to believe that Graham Nolan did the cover. (laughs) World's greatest detective? Possibly. Batman and Robin stand in somebody's shadow preparing for battle. It's alright, isn't it? Batman picks up the newspaper, looks up at the reader and goes, Morrison! (laughs) You breaking the fourth wall again? Honestly, <laughs> it's quite a good cover. I'm not sure about Dick's face. Not Dick. Tim Drake's face looks a bit weird, though, doesn't it? Just like, oh, God, I just let one slide yeah. out. Oh, Batman doesn't notice. <laughs> uh, Night Without Armour was written by Chuck Dixon, penciled by Graham Nolan. Because he's Dick Grayson and not Gene Paul. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it was inked by Klaus Janssen. Lettered you by John Costan. Yeah, it instantly. It looks like you by Costan. Yes, yes, it does. That's very true. Coloured by Adrian Roy. Darren Vincenzo was the associate editor. Scott Peterson was the editor. Mori the Mallet Devane, or Devane, is spilling his guts to the Batman and Robin after an armoured winged figure just took out his fourth mob hit in a week. The Batman suspects that Azrael maybe back in town. Robin disagrees, but picks up a transmission that there are men out on the ledge of Hyde Towers. This may be their man. They take the bad train to Gotham and they'll meet you at Hyde Towers where they'll fight a bunch of bad guys that may or may not be Azrael, oh boy. You give love. <laughs> you give singing a bad name. Over at the Gotham City Police Department HQ, Mackenzie Bock transfers over to be Essen's assistant. Bullock and Montoya offer their sarcastic congratulations before they too are headed over to Hyde Towers. As they arrive, a body hits their car from the roof. They look up to see Batman and Robin in the area and avoiding lead. Lucky Silver is terrified and not of the Batman and winds up more lifeless than a Jonas Brothers concert. Robin doesn't think that this is Jean-Paul and he and the Batman split up to follow their own investigations. Batman trails Jean-Paul, who is back in Gotham, but is unable to comprehend much of anything. Robin, however, concentrates on the victims and spots a connection. Without Tony Bressy, the rackets have been split between six men, only one of which is still alive. 
Robin heads over to Handy Andy Baron, where he discovers that Steeljacket is back in town. He's not the only one. Dick returns to the cave to find Bruce Wayne waiting for him. <gasps> Stuff got real! More or less. Uh, page seven. We've got a really good opening sequence for the first six pages, uh, which is all told in flashback. And then we get a great scene between Tim and Dick. Dick actually smiles at the prospect of taking out the Batra. Yeah. Bruce would I thought that was really cool. We won't get the Everyone police. likes the Batra. Everyone loves Batra. I love the dialogue exchange. He might be at Grand and Belmont Plaza. Huh? Police are responding to a call about men out on a ledge of Hyde Tower. Shots fired. We won't get there till it's over. Unless we take the subway rocket. I don't know. Okay, but I drive. No problem! <laughs> They're both like, hey, bad train! We're going to the bad train! Bruce Neville, let me go in the bad train! Hey, Dick, can I sit on the other chair so I go backwards? <laughs> See how travelling by bat train would be exciting. Unless, I don't know, Two Face were going by car. Yeah, well, that's part. Yeah, then you buggered. Yeah. <laughs> uh, page the 8. Body falling on the car. Yeah. Die hard. It was very die hard, that body falling on the car, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, page 8, the bat train hurtles through the subway. Giving us a very predictable, but still quite funny comedy beat. As passengers wait for the train and just like dumbfounded as it zooms past them. Uh, page nine, which Michael just turned, which mentioned because I skipped page too far, is really, really good. The the body hits the car head first, so there's not going to be much left of him. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought, um, but it's very noir. The artwork on especially that page, with the well. especially with the red colouring, yeah, it's it's very it's brilliant. It's an exceptionally good page. Bullock looks really cool. <laughs> in his fedora and trench coat he looks like every hard boiled P.I. Yeah. you've ever watched in all black and white movies smoking away on his uh, on his cancer sticks very very good death very sticks. good page you don't need to sell me death sticks I don't need to sell you death sticks. you need to go home and rethink your life I need to go home and rethink my life <laughs> why did you sound like Billy Talent <laughs> <laughs> see you later pitching <laughs> 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 laughing Panel one. Uh, love Batman taking out the Goonie without even looking. And off panel. It's a magnificent. All you see is Batman's outstretched arm going off panel. You don't even see the guy he's hitting. No, nope, you don't even see. You, you just see the hand of the guy that he's hit. It's brilliant. I love it when he does stuff like that. Like he's not paying attention, but so is. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Absolutely fantastic. Page 17. Handy Andy which is a stupid <laughs> name, has one of those lighting systems that reacts to noise, leading to a really fantastic fight scene where Robin's kicking the crap out of people and his punches keep turning the lights off and on. Mm. I thought that was great. Those, did they do those lights? Yeah, oh. yeah they were real. Yeah, they, I don't think they lasted long because, mm. uh, as you can imagine, they'd be quite stupid. Every time you they? walk. Yeah. You turn a light on. <laughs> um, Steel Jacket, who I didn't know much about. Did you remember Steel Jacket? No. I didn't remember anything about Steel Jacket. Is a genetically manipulated to look like a 90s comic book character, replete with spiky gloves of doom and metallic armour. He looks like a robot with symbiote. Like, yeah. if Venom was a robot. Oh, Look. he ends up being in Nightwing. Does he? Chuck Dixon uses him in Nightwing. Right. Do you remember? See, 
I'm looking there and I'm looking at the red bit as yeah. his eyes and he looks like he's got a big cheesy grin so he just looks like he wants a cuddle <laughs> but he's armoured yeah so the cuddling probably wouldn't go very well uh, to be honest with you uh, I don't know um, I thought this was a solid issue I really did highlights the difference between Dick and Tim this time when it comes to methodically assessing a situation and then acting upon that knowledge Dick's instructed the issue in a very interesting way so again another time this week where somebody will structure a story in a very non-linear fashion Mm. Uh, with the latter half of the comic here following Batman and Robin's different paths with one page devoted to Batman followed by a page devoted to Robin followed by a page Batman Robin through to the end were retreated to a double cliffhanger Robin in trouble with Steel Jacket and Batman greeted by returning Bruce Wayne who just shows up out of the blue who just shows up out of the blue yeah. and is sat in front of his back computer but not doing anything yeah. he's just sitting there in the dark why does he look like he's wearing jodhpurs yeah he looks like he's been horse riding he does look like he's just been on a fox hunt yeah <laughs> Totally. Well, he is blue blood, isn't he? Ah, hello, Dick. I just found an exceptionally good fox head. Bye, you. I'm giving up this Batman lock. Good day, what? <laughs> you can carry on. I'll be upstairs. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, it was really good. It seemed a bit obvious reading it that it was Jean-Paul. Too obvious. Yeah. Really. Uh, but I would have liked to have seen Dick take him on. But Steel Jacket comes from nowhere. Um, Klaus Janssen drops in as guest inker and adds a wonderful noir feel. You say guest inker, he's more yeah, like he's more like artist. Klaus Janssen shows up and takes over as artist. Um, well, we've said before, we're very on the fence when it comes to Klaus Janssen. Because when he's inking, yeah. he's tolerable. When he's on his own, it's very... Yeah, well, see, I think he works exceptionally well on street-level crime artists like Frank Miller and John Romita Jr., but less so over people like Bernard Perez, with more clean... Yeah. Art styles. Oh, he's best on Ramita. Yeah. Um, he does overpower Graham Nolan here. Mm. There's no doubt about it. This doesn't even look like Graham Nolan had anything to do with it, does it? No. It looks like a Klaus Janssen issue. But it's not got the scratchiness that Janssen has when he pencils his own work. No. So the two of them combined is to pretty good effect. It's a smooth Klaus Janssen yeah. piece. Yeah, it's, it's a very enjoyable Klaus Janssen piece. And particularly the scenes with Bullocks. Bullocks? <laughs> particularly <laughs> oh, the scene with Bullock, who does look every bit the noir-tinged detective. Um, uh, I, I found this a very unexpected cliffhanger. Yeah. Even though I've read this before, this still can't be by surprise. It comes out of nowhere. Yeah, there's no clues on the cover or anything yeah. that Bruce Wayne's back in this issue, is there? If this was now, this you, this had been solicited, this had been plastered all over. Yeah, even if months. even if they hadn't solicited it as being the return of Bruce Wayne, you know, Bleeding Cool would have ruined it before it came out. Yeah, thanks or, a lot, guys. DC, DC are the ones to blame, really. If they'd have done it, yeah. But so it was. Even though I'd read this before, that did come out of nowhere because I wasn't quite expecting it to happen. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed that one. It was very good indeed. And that leads us up to the finale. Uh, Prodigal concluded in Robin 13, which came out on December 6th, 1994, but had a January 95 cover date. Oh, so they're only a month behind now with the cover dates. Yeah. All right. When did they, do, when did they start doing that? It's three months now, haven't they? Do you know, I think we've mentioned that before, actually, when we were doing Nightfall. Didn't they start having early June, late June? as yeah. they started to catch up a bit more with the, the cover dates. Mm. 
as they started blowing off the newsstand because you know we don't care about reaching they new audiences anymore. With brightest day, did they? Because it was bi-monthly. It was early, late, early, late. Right. Okay. Well, it's, it's probably did the same thing. All right, that's fair enough. All right. Uh, the covers by Tom Grummet and Ray Crising, split down the middle, with Robin facing Steeljacket on the left, Dick facing Bruce, fist clenched on the right. Steeljacket looks different on this cover than he did in the last issue. Yeah, well, don't get us started on the issue of this one. He looks different in the... He looks like Shadowhawk in the issue itself. He looks like Ultron in this uh, issue. Yeah, yes, he does. Yeah, uh, the covers are, right? Bruce Wayne looks like Stan Smith from American Dad. He does. His jaw is, is a tad too... It looks like a Muscle Combat loading screen. Yes! <laughs> it totally does! <laughs> um, it says, Conflict! On the cover, and Prodigal. Conclusion. Wings Over Gotham was written by Chuck Dixon, with, with art on the Robin portions by John Cleary and Ray Kreising and by Phil Jimenez and Ray Kreising on the Dick and Bruce segments, except for pages 19 and 21, which were inked by Phil Jimenez. Methinks the deadline loomed. Um, Robin fights off Steeljacket as Gotham's finest burst in. Seems they made the same connections that he did. Steeljacket lashes out with his wings and smashes through a window as Robin gets a backline around him and is pulled after him. They crash through the fundraiser Mayor Kroll is having for re-election, but Robin is burly holding on as the line cuts through his hands. He manages to wrap the line around a statue, but the plan backfires and the statue joins them in the air. The extra weight, though, throws Steeljacket off and they crash into Gotham Tower. Bullock and Montoya pursue, admiring Robin's guts, and hit Steeljacket with a hail of bullets. Back at the cave, Dick confronts Bruce, who as usual doesn't want to talk about it. Dick's had enough of that and says they will talk now. What could have led to a mindless slugfest in the hands of a lesser writer ends up with Bruce and Dick having a heart-to-heart, with Bruce finally admitting that he was wrong about a great many things. Later at the cave, Dick is in his Nightwing outfit as Tim realises that the Batman is back. However, there will be changes made. And that leads into Troika, doesn't it? But before we get there, page one, when did Todd McFarlane start drawing this book? I don't know. But I really... I can't decide if I like the art or not. It's crap! Well, it's dynamic. It's crap! It's dynamic and fast-paced. And crap! But when put next to Jimenez, and in a bat book itself, it doesn't work. It's crap! It'd probably be better in a Spider-Man comic. It's crap! <laughs> Go on! I, I, I might like it, but just not... You here. liked it, but you didn't think it suited here. I thought yeah. it was jarring. Oh, yeah. I really, really did. Yeah. Um, we begin with three splash pages. It's still got nothing on modern comics. Well, no, that's true. But come on, look at page two and tell me that's not he's not tracing McFarlane. He could. Montoya seems to have a bulging crotch. Yeah, she does. And they've all got those pointy McFarlane feet. Or Liffield feet. Or Liffield feet. It's... Uh, Page four onwards. I thought it quite subtle at Jason's Robin costumes in the background the whole time Bruce and Dick have the conversation. Mm. And that... I thought Bruce was drawn wrong. Why? He looked like Bruce. He's just like an old man. Yeah. Mm. See, they should have just called this issue Attack of the Clones. Okay. Because both parts of the story are being illustrated by guys whose art is heavily influenced by other artists. Phil Jimenez 
has always wore his love for Perez on his sleeve, sometimes to, the, to his detriment. But at least the guy can draw anatomy and his backgrounds and figure work's exemplary. Well, I, you know, I think Jimenez is better than Finger Perez. Do you? Yeah, because Perez is quite blocky and heavy on his ink sometimes and is obviously an older artist. Yeah. Whereas Jimenez, even though he's an older artist, has adapted his art style and it's very smoother and very bolander. Do you know, I think it's more of a case of Phil Jimenez has just evolved from being a Perez clone to now being an his artist in his artist. own right. Yeah. Yeah, whereas you look at this here, if you compare this to the Teen Titans, you, you there's an argument that could be made that a non-comics fan wouldn't be able to tell which was which. I think there is enough differences there, but if you knew that his style was influenced by Perez, then it was quite hmm. obvious. I think there are shots, particularly that one of Dick on the bottom of page 12, that's lifted straight from Perez's Teen Titans. Yeah. And it's not... I'm not saying it's a bad thing, because it keeps the character looking consistent, especially when you contrast it with Cleary, who's just a sub-par McFarlane clone with burly a grasp of anatomy and his figure work is lazy and sloppy with features disappearing and everybody's got pointed fingers. I swear this guy's art almost ruined the issue for me. <laughs> it really, really did. It doesn't help that the styles are completely incompatible with the Robin Steeljacket stuff looking like a bad image comic and the Dick Bruce stuff looking like, like fine art mm. in comparison. What was the well, editor thinking? It does reflect on the story. Your Robin stuff's fast-paced and action-packed and your Bruce and Dick's just them sat around in the back cave talking. Yes. And I think an argument can be made that it shouldn't have been. Mm. I honestly think, story-wise, the, the Robin Seal Jacket stuff's fun. And it's action-packed, like you say. I felt we needed more time with Bruce and Dick to explore what's going on and I think this was spoiled by being an issue of Robin yeah because once again another major thing happens in an issue in of an Robin. issue of Robin the two plot strands are bugger all to do with each other and see what I think they should have done this issue should have followed on from Detective hmm. and Detective should have ended with for what happens to Robin check out Robin 13 for what happens to Bruce and Dick, check out Legends of the Dark Knight, whatever. And the Bruce and Dick stuff should have been an issue of Legends of the Dark Knight on his own, like the end of Night, Night, yeah. Night's End. Or you have this carrying on from the previous issue, the previous Batman issue. Yeah. Have it all the Robin stuff and have Robin go into the Batcave and see something, but we don't see it. Right. And then have the next issue of Batman of um, Dick and... Tim, Dick and Bruce, um, Bruce talking, and then it ends with Robin coming in and seeing Batman. Right. Like See, that would have worked as well. Yeah. yeah. Or you have a story where Dick and Bruce go to a restaurant for a chat. Yeah. Or how about we rewrite this issue? Yeah. Well, and then you could have done the whole it's a predictable plot, and it's been done thousands of times before, but while they're there, the restaurant gets hit by robbers and they continue the Bruce and Dick yes Bruce and Dick continue what they're talking about by taking out the robbers non-verbally 
Yeah. And through that, they learn how similar they are to each other. Um, but the best thing of all about the issue, they have to do it without changing into Batman and Nightwing. Yeah. So, so they've, got to, secret they've got to find a way to do it without exposing who they are. And um, it's, like I say, it's not the most startling, the original point in the world, but they could have ironed out the differences yeah. whilst working together. And then at the end of the issue, you could have had them not need to say something to each other. They've just realised it by working together. And like you said, at the end of the issue, Robin shows up. Yeah. And it's like, what are you two doing here? And yeah, that would have been a much better way of doing it. This issue of Robin is Robin versus Steeljacket. And whatever other things. And then the Bruce and Dick stuff should have been an issue of Batman or an issue of Legends of the Dark Knight. Mm. That and also Scott Snyder's ruined the, the Bruce and Dick relationship for me. Why? Because after that one, like... One yeah, that one exchange. Yeah. Uh, when, what was that at the end of the Night of Owls? And so it was Batman 11. 11. It was a brilliant exchange. It was only one page where Dick yeah. came in to hit him. And then Bruce was totally reasonable. Yeah. And Dick was like, I can't hit you now. And Bruce was like, you wouldn't have won anyway. <laughs> it was a really cool act. Yeah, it yeah. was really, really good. Yeah, and then, yeah, Tim shows up annoyed that they've been doing bugger all and Bruce would have unveiled the new Batsuit. Mm. Yeah, that would have worked much better than this. It was actually quite a disappointing ending. Because not even the art's jarring, it's the story's jarring. Yeah, it's two completely different stories tagged onto each other. And it's not that each story's bad, Yeah, they just don't belong to each other. I don't think. And thus, Prodigal ends. And for the most part, it was jolly good. Yeah. Or at least I thought it was. Dick Grayson donning the cape and cowl was an excellent idea, ripe for exploration. So much so that they would do it again nearly 20 years later. I'll say that again. <laughs> so much so that they would do it again nearly 20 years later. And for the most part, apart from the ending, mm. the story doesn't disappoint. We learn a great deal about the character of Dick Grayson in this storyline, not least that maybe he isn't the replacement that perhaps Bruce wanted him to be. Being Batman isn't Dick's calling. He's just simply not as driven as Bruce. Although he is a more rounded person and arguably a better father figure, what he isn't is Batman. Yeah. And this story made that perfectly clear. In terms of an overall event, I thought the story was only a partial success. Hmm. The characterization of Dick wavered too much between issues to be expected when different writers are handling one story I suppose but I think the problem was despite me being quite positive that Two-Face didn't end up being the central villain for the whole series once they lost the central antagonist the story just kind of meandered didn't it like it didn't have a direction yeah there's a lack of focus in the last quarter of the story and it hurts the narrative and we said last week, I think maybe a better approach would have been not to have this be a 12-part story. Hmm. Just have Dick be Batman for a number of months, like they did with Jean-Paul. And you start thinking yeah, that's that he's, it. maybe he's going to stay. Yeah. And you have different writers tell different stories. So and Batman boom, would, yeah. out of the blue. And then out of the blue, Bruce Wayne shows up. Yeah. When you're not expecting it. At least it. that way you wouldn't have the contradicting characterisation yeah. of Dick. yeah. Totally agree. Um, yeah, so... Although I was initially quite positive of Two-Face going, it left the last four issues with a, with a nowhere-to-go feel. Mm. Even though the Alan Grant issue of Shadow of the Bat was excellent, 
I think maybe Prodigal would have worked better if they'd just done Dick Grayson as Batman for a couple of months. Yeah. But it wasn't awful. No. It was better than Maximum Carnage. It was. It was it a better much. It was a better conclusion to the story than Night's End in many ways. Yeah. Because we got to see what we wanted to see, which was Dick Grayson being Batman. And we got an actual conclusion. And we got an actual conclusion. Uh, the four-part Troika followed this. We will be covering Troika at some point in the future. Yeah. But next week, it's Christmas! So, yeah. we have a couple of I books... I thought we were doing our what we got for Christmas, then I was like, but we, we want... No, that'll be after Christmas. Yeah. Next week is Christmas. Yeah. So, next week we're doing our Christmas show. Um, I've already picked the book I'm picking. I've already picked Michael's the book picked the book he's picking. Yeah. And then in the middle of it, we're going to do another book just for, for the laugh. Foot crack. Foot mad crack. Foot mad crack. So, we'll be back next week with our Christmas episode for 2012. Mm-hmm. Join us, won't you? See you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Says the devil will make work for idle hands to do production, and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Lipson, L I V S Y N dot com. So if you're one of those people who wants to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion, our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.